Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today? Doing very, very well. It's good to be here in the Crawl Space studios. It's beautiful outside, first of all. It sure is. It's May. Spring has sprung here in Wormtown. The worm, the worm was smiling on the way in. Oh, you saw him again. Yep, he was smiling and gave me a little wave again. Well, glad to hear that you're having a good day, and thank you for joining us here on Crawl Space. For this episode, we have a really interesting fellow. His name is Stephen David Lampley, and he wrote a book called How to Catch a Liar. If you haven't read that book, it's very, very interesting. He compiles all of his techniques that go into determining whether or not a suspect or a criminal or potential criminal is lying. And this is a topic that people are really fascinated with. There's TV shows made about it. You and I talk about it. You're always trying to figure out if I'm lying. I'm always trying to figure out if you're lying. And now now we have the inside uh, intel on it. It is information that you can use in your everyday life as well, which is really cool. Uh, catch your boss maybe uh, telling a fib. But we should put a little precursor to that. As Mr. Lampley tells us, there's a lot of factors that go into compiling it. So don't just look at someone scratching their nose, for example, and mm. saying, you're lying. I know that you uh, were not sick when you called out sick. Right, because there's several indicators. So. Definitely uh, some interesting things, definitely a lot to learn in this episode. Also, you can check him out on Nancy Grace. He is a regular contributor to her show. He's been on, I think, something like 16 times on her show in the past maybe year. Well, that's really cool because I get to talk to Lancy Grace every day. There you go. And so check out Stephen David Lampley's book. It's on Amazon. Check out his website as well, stephenlampley.com. Okay, so let's get to some general announcements. CrimeCon is rapidly approaching, Lance, so rapid, and uh, you need to use code CRAWLSPACE19 when you sign up at CrimeCon.com. You'll get 10% off, and you're going to have a great time at CrimeCon. Come see us. I keep saying this. If you're on the fence about going to CrimeCon, and if you're a fan of true crime, if you're a fan of podcasts in the true crime genre, this is the place to go. And that Crawl Space 19 really benefits you. It's 10% off the standard pass, and you can hang out with us on Podcast Row. And you can also have the opportunity to go to the seminars, the breakout sessions, safety sessions. You can see someone like Stephen Lampley talking about how to catch a liar. Good stuff. And we're also going to Chicago, the True Crime Podcast Festival, Lance. This panel is really shaping up to be something legendary. It's going to be moderated by Patrick Hines of True Crime Obsessed. It's going to be you. It's me. It's Otavia Zapala of the Missing Alyssa podcast. It's Sarah Turney, whose sister, Alyssa, is missing. And Laura Norton from the Fall Line podcast. And anytime you say Patrick Hines is a mediator or an MC of something, it's instantly legendary. So I think you hit it right on on that that point. It is the True Crime Podcast Festival, the Marriott downtown Chicago. It's called the Magnificent Mile, and it's July thirteenth in the Windy City. But we did hear they're renaming it the Crawl Space Mile. It's on the ballot for the next elections. Okay, so vote yes on that. And we really hope you enjoy this episode with Stephen Lampley. Thank you very much for listening. Give us a five-star review just out of the kindness of your heart. You know, if, you're, if your cursor's hovering over four or three, yeah. just shift it over there to the, uh, to the right a little just bit. Just bump it a little bump bit. Bump it a little bit. Yeah. Do us a solid. Welcome to Crawl Space, Stephen David Lampley. How are you today, Stephen? I'm doing well, sir. How about you? Doing great. I'm not used to being called sir, though. Are you talking to Mr. Polari, my dad? 
<laughs> no, it, old habits die die hard. Uh, Twenty one years as a police officer, everyone's sir and everyone's ma'am. So I just a habit I picked up along the way. Well, feel free to call me ma'am if you need to <laughs> balance the whole thing out. <laughs> but one of you going to be sir, one of you be ma'am. I'll let y'all argue that out. <laughs> Perfect. Your name pops up in these uh, circles of true crime, and you're a speaker at CrimeCon, and you've uh, worked with Nancy Grace, so I think it was just a matter of time before we finally reached out and had you on the show, because you have such an interesting history. I don't know about all that, but uh, (laughs) I've been blessed. I've been honored to be on Nancy Grace. She's a phenomenal woman. Uh, I thank the world of her. She's done a lot of good, and you you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Your your podcast, your radio show is just... uh, Y'all are reaching out and doing a lot of good as well. Thanks. Yeah, well, we do our best. We started off with one case in mind, and we were really fascinated by the type of people that look into that one case, and then we realized just what potential of podcasting had. So we just, I guess, embraced it, and for better or worse, here we are. Can we talk a little bit about your book, How to Catch a Liar? Sure. Great title and something very interesting to us. We're always wondering who's lying to us. Yeah, so so can you tell us what, what your book is about? Let me just give you the backstory, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, it was not an intentional book. I, I never, ever intended to write the book. To be honest, I had written another book called Outside Your Door uh, that I only did at the insistence of friends only because they wouldn't shut up about it. I finally just wrote it to, to get them to be quiet. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I spent about a year. I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I spent about a year writing outside your door. And I was going to go the, tr- the traditional publishing route with that book, the the, uh, the uh, agent and the publisher and, and all that, you know. And I had another friend of mine who was a publisher, who's an author as well. And he said, no, no, he was very adamant. Do not do that. Self-publish. And I had in the back of my mind, you want me to pay somebody $5,000 to publish 250 No, that's not how publishing and writing works. Uh, but that was my thought. And he said, no, no, that's vanity publishing. I'm talking about self-publishing. So we talked at length. And what he talked about sounded interesting to me. So but I didn't want to put what I called my baby, my book that I spent a year. I didn't want to try it with that. So I thought, what kind of what other book can I write? Really short, uh, informative that people might like. So I thought, let's do a short book on how to catch a liar. So here we are. Oh, great! How to Catch a Liar is a book basically about, uh, and it's not it's not a it's not a big thick book. Uh, it's very basic about the techniques that you use to watch the indicators to watch for when people lie. There are a multitude of indicators that people can do or or will do when they're not being truthful. And besides knowing, and you can go on YouTube or any of the other video services and see any number of videos on what the indicators are. But what people don't understand is there's there's so much more. This is not a very easy thing. It's a very complicated process to catch liars and identify. You have to know the processes and the things to look for. So the book covers all of that. I really want to get into some of these uh, techniques on how to identify a liar. But first, can we talk a little bit about your background in uh, law enforcement? Sure. All right. How did it all start? When did you know you wanted to be a cop? Well, I uh, I was a banker. Sounds like a natural transition. (laughs) 
uh, I was a banker and uh, I was making more money on the side as a real estate appraiser because the bank sent me to real estate appraiser school. I thought, well, you know, why am I, why am I sitting here at, at the bank when I could be making all this money? So for a brief period of time, I left the bank and was a real estate appraiser, but the stock market crashed back in 87, I guess. Yeah, back in 87 and left us with no work. So I did a lot of soul searching and thought, okay, Steve, what have you always thought about doing? You know, the world is open at this point. What What do you want to do? I thought, well, I've always wanted to be a police officer, sort of, kind of. So uh, that, was the, that was the deciding point. That was in the late 80s? Uh, it was. It was 88 when I actually decided. I applied at the Birmingham Police Department and uh, was accepted. Spent 21 years in law enforcement. And you eventually became a detective? I did. At the end, uh, the police chief uh, where I was working came to me and said, uh, in private, he, he brought me in his office. He said, uh, I want you to start a new investigative division. And you were to tell no one, not even the other detective uh, detectives about what's going on. And what we did was we initiated a, uh, basically a to catch a predator program where I worked undercover online catching pedophiles who thought I was a 14-year-old girl. My gosh. Good for you. Yeah, what what did your superior uh, see in you uh, to make him ask you, him or her ask you to uh, begin this program? I have no clue. <laughs> you, I, I, you don't I, have I to don't be know. modest. Uh, I, I don't know. He, and to be honest, when he called me in the office, I thought I had done something wrong. <laughs> but I'm back in, back in my brain. You don't get called to the chief's office, you know, just just to say, hey, attaboy. Usually when I when I came to the chief uh, chief's office where my butt was puckered and he said, come on in, close the door. And I realized, oh, this is going to be bad. You know, my career's ended. So but no, I, I don't know what what prompted him to do that. I mean, I'm glad he did. It sounds sort of maybe in a macabre sort of way. I sort of enjoyed the job, sort of enjoyed doing it because every time I made a case, that's one more uh, pedophile, you know, that was off the street, at least at least for a brief period of time anyway. Yeah, that is really interesting that they selected you to impersonate online a, uh, I'm assuming this was online, that you were impersonating. Yeah, it was, a... yes. And I, and I look nothing like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at your pictures here and I don't see it, but... Um... No offense. You know, I, I, I know more about High School Musical and Avril Lavigne than any adult male, respective male, should know. I guess, yeah, that was uh, my question was how when he says to you, your superior says to you, this is what I want you to do. Were you just hit with a sense of panic? Like, I, I have to now learn how to talk and think and, and behave yeah. on some level like an adolescent girl? Yes. Yeah. Well, what the initial fear was I have no clue what to do. I have... I have no clue how to start. And he told me, he says, don't worry about that. He said, I have access to the funding that nobody else will know about. You just get whatever resources or training that you need and I'll make it happen. So, okay. So I talked to another police officer that was out way out of the area because, you know, we didn't want anybody in the area to know what was going on. I had met this officer, I actually worked with the officer before and he had moved on. And he was doing the same thing. So he sort of took me under his wing and showed me some of the things that he was doing, the restrictive software that he had access to that allowed him to uh, get the information and record the information. And uh, that's that's when it all started. But then, then once I started to actually putting it all together, I'm thinking, I have no clue how to be a 14-year-old girl. 
I get online and I start learning all the acronyms and I start learning all the, the lingo and, and all the songs that are playing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard April Levine's boyfriend song. At one <laughs> point, I think I'd memorized the lyrics to it. <laughs> but you have to you have to develop. It's like acting. You have to develop the persona because when you're in, in live chat, you don't have the chance to go back. Oh, I don't know how, that, how a teenager would react to that. Unfortunately, I have to say now, I think I do. <laughs> yeah. A lot of LOLs, R, uh, ROF. Uh, <laughs> Don't call us to do that. I wonder how much was the uh, pretending to be a 14-year-old girl, the legitimate research that you did on how they respond versus what the predator wanted to hear. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, the predator uh, the predator is usually out. You know, different predators, different different. Uh, characteristics okay okay but there there are there are there are baselines but most of the predators uh and most of them are men i did have one female during the course of time contact me but most uh most all the rest of them are, are men they're looking for a particular type of person usually my profile for instance was at, was of a 14 year old girl biological dad left the family the mom had remarried uh, the stepdad was mean and hateful uh, very just very basically provided anything the girl needed so she was sort of an outcast sort of a loner typically a female or, or a male or a child in that role is looking for somebody and these uh, pedophiles are looking for that. And they'll say, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, let, let me do this. And you're nice. And they'll groom this child in the process. Wow. So, so that's appealing to them is uh, they, they hear what you said and they think they can easily kind of separate yeah. that person. Yeah, it's like the Lolita complex. What about like pictures? Where is that like stock photos you guys have? Well, at the time we were doing this, I had to actually use a photo of a real 14-year-old girl. Now, the problem is who? But now the advantage to that is that while I had a real 14-year-old girl on my profile online, and at that time, MySpace was was the big deal. The, the photo I had on my profile was indeed a 14-year-old girl, but when they would ask for photos of me online, I, I could not send them the photo. I would have to pixelate it, disfigure it, uh, do whatever needed to be done where it could not be recognized. And then, of course, they would reply back, oh, well, I can't make anything out. Well, I'm sorry. That's the best equipment I have. I don't know what happened, but that's me. Interesting. Yeah. And they still went for it. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, I had a guy, and I still got the transcripts on that somewhere. Uh, I was online talking to a guy not too far away from me. He kept taking his time answering my questions or responding to my comments. And I'm thinking to myself as a police officer, look, I've got people out here that want to talk to me and want to be caught, you know, if, if you're not going to talk. So what I told him was, look, you either talk to me or I'll go somewhere else. So, he, oh, no, 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 sweetheart. I'm sorry. I was busy watching to catch a predator. True no, story. No, 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 no. True story. No. <laughs> yes, true story. True story. Why would they randomly say that with, I mean, were they really watching it, you think, or that's just you know, on their mind? 
I would I would hope he wouldn't say that, but I don't know. Was he really watching it? I don't I don't know. Or was that like a um like a like a fishing uh fishing attempt? Like, are you Chris Hansen? Was it? Oh, it could have been. Yeah, it could. Still, been. just the fact that it was somewhere in his mind is yeah. enough to is enough for that to be just like a skin crawly moment. Totally. <laughs> have you ever had a time where you were writing something and you thought like I can't believe what I'm writing to this guy? Oh God, yes. Many, many times. And, and uh, it's not wasn't so much the writing that bothered me, but was it was the, it was the point to where, you know, <laughs> the point to where the guy would say, hey, honey, or call me by my name or, or whatever. Would you like to see my uh-huh yeah. in reality? Like, no, dude, really, I don't No, <laughs> not really. But as a 14 year old girl, undercover police officer, Oh my goodness! Yes, please. I've never ever seen one. Yeah, thank you. Oh OMG, please. BLZ. <laughs> yeah, you know. But then I record it. But I'm like, really, dude, man, I wouldn't be proud of that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of amusing because you're living a lie on that end. There's nothing stopping the <laughs> other man from just sending a generic picture that would represent himself a little better on his end. Right. Well, we're talking about video. You know, on, on pictures, oh. you can't tell. Oh, we're okay. talking live video at oh. that point. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Wow. Well, that's some pretty dark stuff. Were you ever able to be there when they made the bust? Uh, several times. Usually, usually uh, we had them travel to us, uh, and sometimes they would not come to us, so we would go to them. So, yeah, several times. Oh, my God. Did you walk in the room and say, I'm the, I'm the person you've been chatting with? Motherfucker. No, not not usually. Now, if they showed up, it was pretty obvious. But if we had to go get them, they didn't know us from anybody. And and I would approach it in the way that uh, we we have information that you've been chatting with a, a female, underage female online. This is her picture. Police officers can lie through their teeth. So I, w- I would tell them, like, we're concerned for her safety. Uh, we're trying to locate her. Do you know where she is or what conversations did you have with her? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I did talk with her, but I but I didn't say anything inappropriate. And I would have the case file with me with the photos, video clips and stuff, <laughs> a chat log. But he didn't. They, they, they didn't know that. And we would talk and say, I said, you're sure you didn't say anything out of, no, out of line? We didn't say anything out of line. Well, do you know where she is? And we would have a conversation about it. I said, well, since you have admitted that, that you did talk to her, is this you? And I would reach inside the, uh, the case file and pull out a photo I had already copied from the video of his equipment and then pull it out of the case file and say, is this you? And it would almost 100% of the time get that wilting effect, like, oh, my God, I've been caught. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say, I guess it is you. And I'd put it back <laughs> in the file to make the arrest. And where does that scene uh, take place? Is that like a Starbucks or like something like that? Well, if they came to us, we usually had, we had an apartment. Okay. Fittingly, not apartment number 13, actually. <laughs> apartment 13 that we had, where they would come to, which was a vacant apartment. But they, we never really allowed them in. We had a police officer waiting inside apartment 13. So when they knocked on the door, the first person they saw was this six foot, five foot police officer saying, hi, I'm not what you expected, am I? And then the rest of us would come out of the bushes and around the side and make the arrest. Oh, my God. What a great moment. I would do that job for no pay. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the viewing penis part. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, but but that... 
somebody, another police officer asked me, he said, how do you do that? I said, unwillingly, really. <laughs> I said, but, you know, every time I do that, that's an underage girl that doesn't have to. Yeah. Right. Small, small price to pay on your end. Pun intended. Yeah, I, mean, I, I got a lot of laughs out of it. You know, I really do. Really? I mean, are you serious? So I see here in, on your bio that you, um, you've even interacted with serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That was very brief. It was, we, we didn't become besties or anything. I hope not. No, my, my, my best friend and I joined the Army back in uh, 78, and we did our medical training at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Uh, he and I enlisted to be medical specialists and then go on to the clinical specialist uh, course. I think we actually ended up there in 78, around just before Christmas, and finished the medical specialist course in 79, and then went on to the clinical specialist. Well, after you finish the medical specialist course, they bring in another recruits or soldiers to take the medical specialist course while you're taking the clinical. It's an ongoing thing. So while we were there taking the clinical, unbeknownst to us, there was this other gentleman that would come to the mess hall with us, myself, Tom, uh, Gary, and some of the others that were there, Steve, myself, and he would always seemingly always eat at the table and you know there were lots of people there so he didn't really stand out so much and every friday night the, the military's medical courses are intensive there's no math there's no english there's nothing else you're in class eight to ten hours a day it's strictly medical classes all day long so by friday your brain's fried and so what we, what we would do on fridays is go to the nco club and a bunch of us would get those little round tables and pull them together. A bunch of us would sit around the tables talking about the week's classes or the, our favorite beer or whatever. And this gentleman would always, would always sit with us. And uh, I thought nothing about it. None of us did. But one day, this has been a few years ago, one day my best friend called me. He said, Steve, do you remember the guy that used to sit with us a lot in the mess hall and sat with us at the NCO club, sat across from us? had the aviator-style eyeglasses and the, the blonde, sort of sandy blonde hair. I thought, yeah, I thought for a minute, I thought, yeah, I, I do remember him. He was sort of quiet. And he said, yeah. He said, do you know who that was? I probably did at the time, but no, I don't know. He said, well, that was Jeffrey Dahmer. I, I thought to myself and I reflected back, I thought, you know, that, that, that sort of did look like him. And I went back and look at, looked at Jeffrey's medical uh, times that he was there. and went back and looked at my medical records, and sure enough, we overlapped some. That was uh, like, okay, well, I'm glad I didn't go anywhere with him. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that guy with the aviator glasses, sandy blonde hair, always got his veal extra rare? <laughs> but, you know, I, a lot of times when I'm out talking, people will ask me, and it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of comical in a way, is when, the, when they find out that I had any interaction at all with Jeffrey, is they'll, they'll look at me and they'll lean in slightly and they'll say, what was he really like? Like it's a secret. <laughs> and, and, I, and I know what they're wanting. I know what they're, what they're expecting. They're expecting me to say, oh, he was this uh, horrible hunchback, water the nose, under the bridge, knuckle-dragging ogre with a butcher knife in his hand. That's not the Jeffrey that, that we knew. And I'm not defending the man whatsoever. He did some of the most heinous murders uh, in history. But the Jeffrey that we encountered there outside of the murder realm was a very quiet uh, well-spoken, mannerly, friendly type guy. That was our interaction. But then that was the same Jeffrey that he was to his victims initially. 
is it fair to say that serial killers come in all shapes and sizes? You know, if, if there was one ne- walking next to you, it looks like an ordinary person. Well, they do. They're, they are. They are. They're ordinary people. They're, they're moms and dads, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. You know, you got people like uh, Ted Bundy, who was very outgoing, very, uh, very social. Then you've got people who are not quite as outgoing, like uh, Ted Kaczynski. So you you have all kinds of folks, all kinds of personalities. Now, what about if you if you run into one and you're maybe interrogating them or something like that? Getting back to your book on lying, is there is there some obvious way you would know that uh, that one of these guys is lying? Well, there is. Now, you have to also understand that the human. Uh, persona, the human brain is not 100%. Human psychology varies so widely. You know, for instance, a polygraph, it can only be around 85 to 90, 92%, somewhere in there, accurate. There's always room for a mistake or error or misreading. The same is true with detecting liars uh, looking for the indicators. It's never 100%. But given the cluster, what we look for is a cluster of indicators. One of the indicators of uh, lying is rubbing or scratching the nose or the ear because when the uh, human is subjected to pressure, the fight or flight syndrome kicks in. Then the body takes over and prepares the body for the extra energy needed to either fight or run. So it causes the nose to itch, the nose to be cool, the the ears to do the same. So if somebody's lying, they may very well scratch their nose or rub their ear. Now, does that mean that every time somebody scratches their nose or rubs their ear, they're lying? No, it does not. Uh, So that's why when I'm talking to someone, one indicator to me doesn't really make my chain. I'm looking for two, three or more. The more indicators I have, the more sure I am that I have a lie. Wow. Yeah. So uh, because if every uh, every nose touch or ear touch meant you were lying, every uh, third base coach in uh, the league would. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just pathological. <laughs> but but that's really compelling that it's a biological um, response that the body has to a moment where they're feeling they need to lie. So that's something you can't really conceal too easily, huh? There's some you can. When, when I spoke uh, last year to a group of folks. And they did a review after it was over with. And uh, paraphrasing the review is the, the, the lady, I think it was a lady that wrote the article. She says, I attended uh, my name, Stephen Lampley's How to Catch a Liar. And my take away from this was that people were learning how to be better liars. That is not true because these lying indicators, for the most part, happen without thought. And what, what you have to understand when the body, when the, when the human is lying, the brain is supercharged. There's, there's a lot going on in the brain we call cognitive overload. They're trying to keep the facts from coming out, but they're trying to keep the false or the lies together. And they're so busy doing that, they don't have time to worry about, are they looking away from me? Are they scratching their nose? They don't and they realize they're doing these things. Have you ever heard of any identification method to determine if someone's lying based on their waveform pattern? Yeah, we do a lot of audio editing, and so, uh, yeah, we can tell if you're lying right now with this answer. <laughs> yeah, now, there are, there are some audio things. I'm not very familiar with those. And there's also some work being done as far as brain waves and, and brain activity uh, with scans. I read some of that uh, about the frontal lobe. Uh, but I'm not real familiar with those. 
So let's say I commit a crime and I have trained myself to lie. If, if I'm training myself not to touch my nose, is that something that you would look at and you say, this guy is using his hands way too much? Overanimation is, yes. Overanimation can be. Let me say, yes, it can be. Yes, it can be. Now, you also have to understand because a person is set in his mannerisms or what he's going to say, he can't, he can't adjust his sweating. He can't adjust his pupil dilation. Uh, usually can't adjust the blinking rate. So there's other things. That, yes, you can mask some of them, but you cannot possibly mask all of them. Okay, pupil so dilation. Blinking and pupil dilation. <laughs> Your pupils okay. will dilate if you're lying? They can, yes. What? Yes, and usually they do. Wow. It's okay. the blood flow. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, we, we've just analyzed your waveforms, and you weren't lying on that answer um, from a minute ago. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. I hope not. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, if I didn't know I was lying, I'd be a little bit psychopathic, perhaps. <laughs> right. That would be that would be interesting. <laughs> well, now, what about the uh, the one who's like looking up and to the left? Is that is that like the most basic and obvious tell? There are there are varying schools of thought as to whether any of this is accurate, as well as any polygraph is accurate. You're always going to find the people that say, no, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. I've used this. It does work. It's not 100%. For instance, somebody says, Stephen, did you murder your best friend, Sam? And me being right-handed, if I look up or right, that typically indicates that what I am trying to do at that point is create a story where a story did not previously exist using my imagination, which indicates I'm telling a lie. Now, if I, if I look upper left, that typically indicates that I'm trying to remember an event that really did happen or the truth. It's just the opposite for left-handed people. Very if cool. If you're left-handed and you look upper left, then you're trying to create a story where one didn't exist or think of a lie. And if you look upper right, you're probably telling the truth. Wow, that's it's crazy. I feel like my my girlfriend must not hit any of these because she's always touching her nose, her ears, and looking up and to the right. And I guess she was really at the store let, let, let all me, weekend. Let me let me give you the disclaimer that I give in all of my presentations. Don't go out and start using this on your family and friends because there there is a lot. Just knowing the indicators alone, without knowing the clustering, the timing, everything involved with putting it together. Like I say, you can go out and learn all the indicators, but unless you know when they're relevant and how to look at them, it's like algebra. Uh, I use this example in my seminars. Algebra consists of letters, numbers, and symbols. Well, if you have learned Pythagorean's theorem, for instance, c squared equals a squared plus b squared, but you forget it, it's okay because algebra is made of letters, numbers, and symbols. I'll just put some stuff together. It's still algebra. And I'll come up with an answer, you know, D, D cubed equal A plus B minus Y squared. That's not going to get you the same answer. It's the same with detecting liars. If you know the indicators, but you don't know how to apply them, yes, you're going to get, you're going to recognize some indicators, but you're going to get possibly the wrong, the wrong answer, the wrong evaluation out of it. If you are a pathological liar... Is that harder for someone like yourself to detect if you're interviewing someone who is a pathological liar? Are there indicators where you know where they're deviating from the truth and they're mixing in a little bit of the truth with the lie? It is hard. A lot of psychopaths believe their very lies they're telling. And if you honestly believe the lie you're telling, there, there is typically no indicators. But you have to be you have to be aware that these people are out there and they do they do give off some indicators. They can. It's just not as prevalent. 
uh, because, again, they believe what they're saying. So million-dollar question here, are our girlfriends lying to us? Just kidding. Totally no, kidding. I'm not even going to take the fifth on that. I'm just going to that one. <laughs> um, no, I wanted to ask about uh, the Claremont killer. So uh, so you were the arresting officer of the Claremont killer, and that's uh, Cleophus Prince Jr.? Yes, Cleophus Prince Jr. Cleophus. Okay. Um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? I was uh, still a rather new officer with the Birmingham Police Department. As a matter of fact, I did not even have enough seniority at, on that particular day to be assigned to a regular beat car. I was still a utility officer. And what a utility officer is, is someone that's graduated the academy, they received all of their training, they just don't have enough seniority to be assigned to a regular beat, the same beat every day. So you fill in wherever they need you. Well, that was my last day as a utility officer and the sergeant, bless his heart, decided that my last day as a utility officer needed to be on the desk. Thank you, Sergeant. So I, I went to each precinct desk and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. It's my last time to ever have to work the desk again. So let's make the best of it. It was maybe a couple of hours into my shift. I worked the three to 11 shift and a couple of hours, give or take, two uh, suit clad men walk in, identify themselves as investigators with the San Diego, California Police Department. And they're there to meet one of our homicide investigators. They got together and came back up front and said they were going to go to the Gate City Housing Project. And they wanted me to call this phone number and ask for Cleophus Prince. The back story to that is that Cleophus was in the Navy in San Diego. Uh, he was a suspect in the homicides and they had collected DNA from him. But he got out of the Navy, out of the Navy and went back home to Birmingham. He got arrested at a bar on Southside the night before and got released on bond before the warrants in San Diego could be entered in the computer. So it's sort of like they just brushed by each other. So they had his address and they had his phone number. So they gave me the phone number and said, call this number and ask for Cleopas. We're going to go down and, and get ready to go into the apartment. I called the number and asked for Cleopas. His mom answered the phone. But they didn't prepare me for what she said. And she said, he's not home. I'm like, uh-oh, okay, what do I do? I've got like a split second. She said, who is this? I lied. I said, I'm an old high school friend of his. Uh, I heard he's back in town. I'd like to catch back up with him, talk. Oh, he would like that. I'll tell him you called. Please do. And I gave her the non-recorded, non-traceable line at East Precinct never expecting he would call. Uh, maybe an hour, hour and a half later, the phone rang. And I looked, I remember looking at it very, very vividly, looking at that line flashing and hearing the phone ring and thinking to myself, Steve, that's probably a serial killer. I, I reached down and picked it up and I said, hello. And indeed it was, it was Mr. Prince. So I had to fess up. I said, look, I am not a high school friend. You were arrested last night at the bar, and I told him the name of the bar, Sonova Beach, you were arrested there. Uh, however, they released you, and we have more paperwork we need to do, which was not a lie. There were now six murder warrants. Uh, we have more paperwork we need to do. Uh, I'm sure, and using a sales technique, I said, I'm sure you don't want us to send a patrol car to your house, so why don't you just come in and let's do the paperwork? I couldn't leave the precinct desk, so he had to come to me. 
He said, man, I don't have a ride. I said, well, I'm only doing this to help you out. If you want to come in and do it, we'll do it that way. Otherwise, we'll just send a patrol car or whatever. I'm just trying to help you, man. Uh, we talked back and forth all night He was as he supposedly tried to get a ride. And Just before I went home, the line rang again. He said, look, man, my, my mom's leaving work. She's going to come get me and bring me up there. I said, okay. I think it was a little after midnight he walked in. And you slapped the cuffs on him? Uh, well, I did, but not right there. His mom was a security guard. She had a gun, so we had to uh, we had to take the gun from her, at least temporarily. And I led him in the back of the back of the precinct. And as soon as the electronic door latched, then then we arrested him. So okay, so when he walks in, what do you what do you first say to him? I said, "Hey man, hey man, yeah, come on back. Let's get the paperwork started." While I was doing that, the desk officer Jim uh, was taking her gun. He came on back. Like I said, when I heard that click of the door. Uh, then I arrested him. Was that a forceful removal of her gun? Was it? Was she like panicked? No, no, that? no a, okay. No, not at all. She said, "Oh, I understand." She handed him the gun. It was uh, no, there was there was no animosity. There was no there was no it went down uh, very smoothly, very quietly. What's his demeanor like? Is that when you arrest him, or did you arrest him and then you, you know, obviously tell him why he's being arrested? He came to the back, and I told him to put his hands against the wall. He said, "What's going on?" I said, "Just." I'll explain in just a minute. Put your hands against the wall, handcuffed him. He was led to the back. I did the report and I left. I, I just, I just simply affected the arrest. Yeah. Uh, wrote out a rather lengthy report, or, or, excuse me, report on what you and I just talked about, and then I went home. Do you like stop off at a beer store and get yourself a six pack? And <laughs> that's an incredible way to end your day. Yeah, I just sort of um, apprehended a serial killer in a peaceful manner. I don't remember if I got remember if I got beer or not. You broke out the Cubans. Uh, yeah, well, maybe I don't know. I, I don't really remember, but I, I, I think I was. I'll be honest. I think I was more excited that the next day I went to my regular beat. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was an uneventful type thing at the precinct. Uh, and again, he was uh, the very brief, uh, very brief time I interacted with him. Like it was like less than probably three minutes. Uh, he was very nice and, and mannerly. He was, hey, man, how's it going? And talk up until the point I put the cuffs on him, of course. But uh, What's your experience with these encounters with violent individuals? This guy is like, you know, he's got manners. He's nice. He was cordial. Is that typical, do you find? Well, it can be. I mean, yeah. you, you, you find John Wayne Gacy on a, on a uh, KFC franchise. Uh, he was a pillar in his community, went to the White House as a guest of the president. There's pictures of John Wayne Gacy standing next to Rosalind Carter. They're just like us, just like we talked about a while ago. They can be just like anybody. There's no one characteristic that says all serial killers live in the woods by themselves, or there's one characteristic that says they're all outgoing, uh, nice folks. Now, you also tour and you do um, conventions and you give seminars. How did you get into that? Well, when I wrote the book, my first book online was called Detecting Liars. It was very, I think it was, I don't even remember now, 68, 70. It was very thin. And I only wrote it just to test the self-publishing system. I wanted to see how it worked before I put my other book that I spent so much time on. And when I, when I wrote that book, I started getting requests for radio interviews. And I wasn't going to do that anyway. And somebody said, no, you have to. Yes, that's part of it. Okay, whatever. Uh, I, I was not going to do any of this. Okay, this was not, none of this was planned. And so I started doing radio interviews. And then one of those radio interviews with KKNW in Seattle led to them contacting me, I think, two or three weeks later. 
saying, would you do a 10-minute uh, true crime commentary for our radio show? And again, I had no interest really in the radio show. Not really. I mean, yeah, I, I like the idea, but I saw it as an avenue to advertise my, my book. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Then it was, uh, I don't know, maybe I think it was May, some months later, they contacted me and said, we want to give you 30 minutes. Would you be interested in doing a 30-minute show? People are liking what you're doing. I thought, wow, okay, well, that's 30 minutes I can I can promo my book. And it was, uh, I think it was last, oh, October, August, September, I forget, that they contacted me and said, we want to offer you your own radio show. Uh, you'll have an hour. It'll be on uh, KKNW, KCA in Los Angeles, KOII, and, and a bunch of other stations and podcasts. That's when I think it really hit that this is serious. This is serious. I had some uh, small venues that asked me to come talk to their people. And I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe there's a need. Maybe there's a bigger interest in this. So I contacted uh, CrimeCon before last year's CrimeCon in 2018 and said, hey, you know, I see you're looking for speakers. If you're interested, you know, we'll, we'll do it. If not, i just sort of testing it. And we, we decided that uh, we would do the how to catch a liar thing. It's a brilliant idea for CrimeCon. Well, it was, and uh, it, it was very well received, more so, more, way more so than I thought. And I had gone back and looked at the CrimeCon video clips and photos from 2017 at some of the sessions. What I saw there, based on what I was thinking about me, I was going to have tops, 75, maybe, maybe 100 if I stretched it. They, they moved me from the Washington conference room into the presidential ballroom because so many people registered. It filled up with 850 people, uh, standing room only. And I was just, I was shocked. That's basically how all this started. Way to go on that. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Did you find that that complex, that hotel complex was as confusing as we did? I'm still lost. I'm still there. You didn't know I'm, I'm still wandering around the atrium somewhere. Oh, that's awesome. I got into a time warp somewhere. I got into the main atrium and somehow I could not find, I, I would go around the loop and find myself right back in the same place, not once, but several times. Inexplicable. Yes, I, yeah. 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 So how did you end up connecting with Nancy Grace and how did you end up becoming a regular contributor? All this is built on something else. And, and, uh, that stemmed from my 10-minute radio commentaries. Because the radio commentaries I was, I was doing was more like an instructional-type commentary where I would discuss blood spatter, serial killer profiles, or, or whatever the topic was for that week. It was usually a crime or forensics topic where I was teaching people some basic stuff. My radio producer, who also has his own radio show in KKNW, had Nancy Grace on. She agreed to come on and do an uh, interview on his show. He said, Steve, would you like to co-host? Well, duh. I can't believe you even asked me that. Right. Yes, I do. And uh, he said, because I know you're all going to be at CrimeCon together, and, and that way you all can talk before CrimeCon. Yeah, sure. And uh, Al, my producer, said, well, on the, on the show with us today is Steve Lampley, and he's, he's excited to meet you. She said, oh, I know about him. I like to fell out of my chair when she said that. And then she went on talking, and then apparently she had listened to some of my radio commentaries. We met at CrimeCon for the first time, and she said, I've got to have you on my show. And I've been on there, I guess, now 16 times. Wow. She's, she's a phenomenal lady. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, we call uh, Lance Lancy Grace sometimes when he gets real heated. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't want to know any more than that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, 
It's akin to pretending to be a 14-year-old girl online. So uh, just... Oh, okay. I understand. <laughs> I'm glad you do. You know, I had a guy come up to me here last was it last last week and blatantly told me a lie. He looked at me. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Why are you standing here looking at me? He said, I just told you a lie. Did you catch it? I said, uh, do you understand the first thing about catching lie? No. I said, then you need to buy my book or come to one of my seminars. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you all. Looking forward to meeting you as well. And where can people buy any of your books? Amazon has most of them. Books a Million has uh, one or two. I think Barnes & Noble has one or two. But they're they're all on Amazon. Uh, or they can go to my website, stephendavidlampley.com, and they're there as well. Great. Very cool. Well, thanks a lot. This has been uh, very informative and uh, downright fun to talk to you. Yeah, really interesting. That was uh, 50 minutes that just flew by. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I really do. Thank you. And I'm not scratching my nose while saying that. <laughs> no, but you're shifting your uh, your base. That's true. Oh, no. Shifting, oh, my God. He's you're lying. shifting on your base. So he didn't have kidding. a good time. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a polygraph. Give me a polygraph. <laughs>